Today on CityCast Denver. Everybody knows about vampires, mummies, werewolves, and ghosts, but let's be honest, are any of them really scary anymore? That's why I'm pleased to introduce you to some brand new nightmare fuel. He kidnaps women, he skins people, eats their skin, he smells bad, and he lives in caves, and the men apparently would try to hunt him into extinction because he was so evil. His name is The Lofa, and he's been haunting my dreams ever since I read Erica T. Worth's new novel, White Horse. It's literary horror from an indigenous perspective. It's set in Denver. It's out this week, and I absolutely loved it. Today is Halloween. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Erica T. Worth, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. So I want to start with the name of your book, White Horse, which is also the name of a dive bar in Denver, which is right by my house. But I would love to hear from you why White Horse became, or why the bar became such a central setting in your story. Yeah, I think folks have have assumed that I made it up. And I'm like, absolutely not. It's It was central because it is a singularly Denver Indian Institution, probably for something around 50 years before it was shut down recently, and I'm sure they're going to plow over it, oh, yeah. um, which makes me really sad. There were countless stories I've I've heard about that bar. I've been there, of course, many times, and of course, I was there when it was kind of declining, and I'd be, my boyfriend and I would be like the only ones. But, you know, I went to like an indigenous fashion show the other day, and everybody talked about how they went to that bar Um, Their grandparents went to that bar. Their parents went to that bar. Some talked about rescuing a baby from that bar. (laughs) And so it's just, you know, just such a, like, there are a handful of bars like that in this country, and I assume in Canada, too. And they're irreplaceable. And since I'm a Denver writer, I wanted to have, you know, I'm a Denver Indigenous writer. wanted to have, like, a clearly Denver Indigenous writer, you know, know, location and and name. Do you know why that became the bar for... Indians in the city? I think everybody, well, there's always sort of discussion about that. I do know there was a previous owner, and I have to assume that like the current owner who is not indigenous, but in a strangely unfetishistic way, just really loves natives. And, you know, the cool thing about the way he seems to love us, that keeps sounding creepy, but I think he hit my impression anyway was he loves us for who we are, not for who people want us to be. And he just, you know, started a bar called The White Horse in a, de- in a city that draws loads of natives, Diné, Lakota, Anishinaabe, Oki mixes, Mexican indigenous people. And, it, you know, they came. And That's so, so you know, yeah. Because we just have a handful of dive bars left to begin with, right? But they always serve as a home of some sort, for certain groups of people. And sometimes you don't, I have to tell you, I didn't really know that until I read your book. Oh. Because I live by it, but I don't drink, so I don't go there. But I never would have picked up on that. It's like almost hidden in plain sight, but also I think that's why it probably serves the community really well, right? Yeah, that's what I was about to say, yeah. Denver, I think, again, it's just sort of like nexus, like traditionally, right? 
unlike New Mexico, where every bar is an Indian bar, um, Denver is really big and it has a really visceral history, like the United States, like Canada, like this continent. But um, it's there's a lot of like clearing out of natives in a genocidal way. Mm -hmm. And there's the Sand Creek Massacre. But I guess because it's such a big city and because it's it's at this nexus, for a long, long time, it was a place where a lot of natives came for jobs, you know. And so it was just, just one of those cities where there were a lot of natives. But I think because of its location and because for a long time it was cheaper to live, it was a place where there were like so many different kinds of natives. And so I think that's what made it unique. So something I love about your writing is whether the reader knows Denver and, and Idaho Springs well or if they've never been here. Um, you use real places like the White Horse and aspects of these places to create this sort of dusty, desolate, like mildly creepy setting, which is like kind of perfect for a horror novel. And, you know, we grew up here, right, in the 80s and 90s. And I, I before most people knew that Denver was cool, right, or whatever, like you're saying when it was affordable, you know, and I just wonder why you think that Denver um, makes the perfect setting for a horror story. For me, White Horse is definitely an homage to old Denver, like um, the White Horse, Lakeside Amusement Park. Yeah. And as far as like what makes it creepy, I think anything old has history. And especially when it's unexpected history, because when people think of Native people in, in this state, especially like in this new version of Colorado that's hikey and bikey and ski, I think they think of us in like those guys far away or those guys from the past or those guys who kind of spiritual and they don't think of us as like you know in in these places that we've been there forever like Idaho Springs had a large chunk of indigenous people because it was cheap to live and a lot of natives came to the city and they were like I hate this and they moved out So sort of speaking of the idea of native people in current context your book is about an a self-identified urban Indian, Carrie, who basically becomes a detective on the search to find out what happened to her mother. Tell me about Carrie. Yeah, you know, my little log line, my short log line is indigenous literary horror, right? But Carrie is essentially an urban native of Apache and Chickasaw descent, um, like me. And she's very much a girl from Idaho Springs. She's just kind of tough. She's very Gen X y, she's very sarcastic, lots of inappropriate jokes. But she, her big loves, right, are heavy metal and horror, and specifically Megadeth and specifically Stephen King. And she loves them, but she despises her mother, who she feels abandoned her when she was two days old. And her really sweet, well-intentioned white cousin, Debbie, finds this bracelet and the minute Carrie of her mother's. And the minute Carrie touches it, she is haunted by the ghost of her mother. And then this really evil kind of Bigfoot character starts invading her dreams. And so she decides she's got to find out what happened to her mother after all. What I love about Carrie is like, like you said, she's a metalhead. Like she talks about how much she loves Dave Mustaine. And I know this character. Like I, I went to the high dive the night it opened and I know this character so well. And that's what I loved about it was like, she could be a person that you'd run into at the bar, but her story is like so much deeper and more complex than you would ever know on yeah. the surface of being at a show with, you know, somebody like that. Absolutely. So you brought this up, the sort of monster that haunts your main character. And I read in an interview that you chose a monster from Chickasaw folklore to be the thing that haunts your main character because relying on things like a vampire, like even in fiction, it it kind of is like 
haunting native characters in sort of a colonized way with like Eurocentric monsters. And um, I tried to learn more about the Lofa and there's like not a lot out there. So please tell me more about this monster. I think Rebecca Roanhorse, who's a, a Pueblo descent, she talks really articulately about this, that, you know, there's nothing wrong if like your jam is, is talking about vampires, but there's a lot of, I think, um, shame around our culture that natives have accrued from boarding schools or day schools. So my grandmother went to a day school and it was like nicer in a way because you got to go home, but there was still, you know, still run by Irish nuns and they still made sure she was nice and Catholic. And so um, I think sometimes this idea that we shouldn't talk about it comes from shame. Um, that is my feeling. And so, yeah, I'm like, I'm more interested in, I'm interested in lots of things. I think ghosts are fairly universal, right? And that's the primary thing going on. But yeah, I think the Chickasaw monster is particularly compelling. The Lofa or the Shampe for the Choctaw, um, who I've, from what I understand is really similar, it's kind of an evil Bigfoot in the sense that he kidnaps women, he skins people, eats their skin, he smells bad, <laughs> and he lives in caves. And the men apparently would try to hunt him into extinction because he was so evil. And so I kind of like this. I like this idea of instead of the puritanical way in which some natives will approach um, good and evil, like don't talk about it, or just positive, yay, like traditional, yay. I like this idea that we have bad guys in our folklore. And the lofa is real. The ghosts are real. And the Lofa is terrifying, and I will admit that he is in some ways um, ends up being a metaphor for abuse in Indian country. So yeah, and I don't without giving any spoilers. Like my the first my first novel, I just spoiled all over the place. I'm like, don't do. It <laughs> I know. Worse. I'm like thinking about how <laughs> yeah. you do that in the story. I'm like, I don't want to tell it because it's so good. That's the <laughs> yeah. like thing that you discover where you're like, what? Yeah, it was cute. Um, when you know my friend, my indigenous brother from another mother, Stephen Graham Jones. You know, I've known him for 20 years, and I was like, will you blurb it? And it, he was like, yeah, man, I just didn't see it coming. It was really good. You know, he's <laughs> a character, but he really did, and it was sweet, you know. I just love the character, too, because it's like something that maybe we could add to more pop cultural folklore for a new monster that, you know, appears in stories for the next 50 years and becomes the Frankenstein or just of that caliber of things that people know that are scary. Because that, like you said, the way you describe this monster is like there isn't anything else kind of like it. I think there's always a subject of cultural appropriation, but the, I think what natives are forgetting is like, oh, but what if we're the writers and we're in the writers' rooms and we're the actors and we're we're doing it and we're I think we need to be like, oh, what if we're writing for other Indians and that everyone else it, you know is invited to enjoy it if they if they want to, right? What about that? And then that stops that that whole argument. And I also feel there's something kind of interesting about Bigfoot. I was on this um, podcast called Talking Scared, and I was scared because um, that particular podcaster is really smart, and he will sometimes be like, well, I had a very pleasant conversation, but in the end, I tremendously hated the book. And you're like- <laughs> You're like waiting for that? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And so I was super nervous, but he was he didn't know that Bigfoot was indigenous. And I think that I, I didn't, I actually didn't realize that people didn't know that is an entirely, as far as I know, indigenous monster that has absolutely pervaded American and global culture. And so, yes, it's appropriation to a degree, but it's also survival. And I think that we can redirect people to more specific, more interesting, more unique parts of that, that's those stories, you know? Well, and then it, it just enters popular culture and allows folks to 
be a part of it and consume it and enjoy it. I don't know. It's like, I see what you're saying where it's a, it's a fine line with appropriation, right. but also like welcome into our stories. Let us tell you our stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up with, you know, the movie Harry and the Hendersons. That I Bigfoot totally. is so great. I love that Bigfoot because he's so nice, but that is definitely not the Lofa. That was something I thought about in reading this. I was like, yeah, Harry and the Hendersons is like, this is like an emotionally intelligent, really intense, like the moments of the, I think about that movie. I'm like, it's really kind of sad at the end when they have to leave Harry and he just wants to be part of a family. And that's not like the Sasquatch or the, the Bigfoot character that we know. And this is, I could see the shape of it almost being similar, but the, the, the aspects of this monster are, I, it, it, ha- it did There's haunt my dreams. There's even a woman who self-publishes with a sexy Sasquatch <laughs> and he kind of looks like like, you know, the romance novels, like, yeah, set, the and I'm like, hair I don't and- know what to, like, is this supposed to be an Indian? Because I'm not sure, is this a native fantasy? What's happening? And oh so the whole, now I'm like, I need to, now that I have a doctorate, right, I should like go back and watch Harry and the Hendersons and be like, is it white people talking about Indians <laughs> instead of just talking about Indians? I don't know. I never so, thought about that. Yeah. Oh, well, and, and so we have to get to the other sort of scary part of your book, which is, um, People are very familiar with The Shining and the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park. I mean, it's one of our like scariest, most famous places here in Colorado. And you somehow found something new and frankly, even more terrifying in the Stanley. Um, And I want to talk about this without spoiling too much, but how did you come to this part of the story? Well, like Carrie, I'm a Stephen King stan. Um, I understand what people's objections are to him, but he seems like a reasonable guy. It seems to me that, you know, if he had to rewrite these these native characters, he'd be like, cool, yeah, I've learned a lot, you know? Yeah. So, and I, I love The Shining. I love the movie. I love the book. Um, I've watched it compulsively. I grew up with an alcoholic dad, so it was probably a processing thing. Um, and also, I just love the film and I love the book. And the book is so quirky and weird. Um, but I think what I was asked actually on that particular podcast was, you know, oh, it's not integral to the plot. And I'm like, of course it's integral to the plot. I'm from Colorado. Yeah. Everybody knows about it. I went to it as a kid. And for the main character, what she learns eventually without spoiling, um, I always feel like I'm in Doctor Who, like spoilers, (laughs) uh, is that the journey she goes on, it has to be hers. Every single thing that she loves and values and is interested in, like Stephen King, it has to be part of her journey in order to get to the place she needs to get to, to, and I hate this word, but heal. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I did do research there. I took my niece, who's like my little um, research assistant, and she's just cute. And she was 14 at the time, and we were staying in a room where supposedly a white guy stands in the corners and glares at you, <laughs> and if he doesn't like, he scratches you. So we brought a spirit plate, and we were like, so thanks for letting us stay in your room. And every time we talked to him, the freaking light flickered. Mm-hmm. I was super freaked out in the middle of the night. I'm like, Maeve, can you turn on the light? Because I have to pee, and I can't. You know, as <laughs> a 14, she has to be the brave one, poor kid. But yeah, I, I loved it. I love the Stanley. I love Stephen King. I love haunted hotels. I love everything to do with haunted houses, haunted hotels. I don't understand why people aren't more compelled by that. Like, again, Stephen Graham Jones, he's the slasher guy with an edge of supernatural. Um, But that stuff doesn't scare me. Like, I'm like, ew. Or I'm like, whoa. You know, I'll watch one. Like, I love Scream. But that isn't what scares me profoundly. That is not what compels me. It's like magic mirrors, magical portals, magical houses, you know, like, because I was a fantasy kid. I was a super nerd. And it comes through in the book. And I just want to tell folks who haven't read the book yet, like, the way that you incorporate the Stanley is something that no one will ever expect. It's a totally different angle to what makes it haunted. And um, it's like, I hope that it goes down in the canon of the 
the hotel so that, you know, one day I can go there and there's like a white horse. You know, it's like they have like the Jack Nicholson character that wanders around. I'm like, I want a little bit of the white horse in this story now. But it kills me that it wasn't filmed there, but Dumb and Dumber was. (laughs) And I learned that in researching your book (laughs) when I was like searching around and I was like, wait a minute. Dumb and Dumber was filmed here, (laughs) but The Shining wasn't? Right. It was a a set that Kubrick built in England (sighs) based on a hotel in Portland, based on King's book that was in, you know. That's so wild. I know. It's weird. Well, Erica T. Worth, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This is wonderful. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Remember last month when we brought you the story of Christian Glass, the man who Clear Creek County Police shot and killed after he himself called 911 for help? According to Summit Daily, it's now up to a grand jury to decide if the police will face criminal charges. After an investigation, DA Heidi McCollum requested the grand jury convene in November to make a decision. I'll let you know as soon as they do. Finally, it's ballot time, baby. But we know you have questions. We'll be discussing what Denver is voting on later this week, and we want to hear from you. What do you want to know about the D-Town municipal ballot? What propositions are you still not sure about? Email us at denver at citycast.fm or call us at 720-500-5418 and leave us a message with your name and neighborhood, and we might answer your burning ballot questions on the show. That number again is 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Stephen King about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, which you can do by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Remember last month when we...